Welcome to the Sojourners in the Storm Bible Study Podcast. Today we're going to continue on through our study through the Gospel of Mark. We have reached Mark 6e, chapter 6, verse 45 through 56, and we'll be finishing out this long chapter. So uh, let's get ready and let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you do for us and all that you give to us, Lord. Father, I pray that you would just bless this message, bless this time, bless those that are listening, Lord. Father, I pray and ask you, please just go before us today, Lord. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Fill us afresh and, and just help us to walk closer to you. Father, I thank you. And I pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so in 1979, the tugboat Chahuba was headed down the Tongabi, uh, Tom Bin, sorry, I'm butchering this word, Tom Bin, be River in Alabama, USA. The current was flowing fast as the tugboat's pilot approached the bridge and released his coal barges. Then he, uh, he then put his 1800 horsepower twin engines into reverse to get away. But when the boat moved slightly offline, the current swung the boat sideways and slammed it into the bridge. The current was so strong that it forced the boat under the water. To the astonishment of onlookers, it passed under the bridge and popped up upright, with the engine still going and the pilot at its wheel on the other side. Um, why did it come back to the surface in an upright position? Because it was ballasted with a meter-thick lining of cement on the bottom of the hull. Now, it is a vivid reminder that life can often go horribly wrong, but if we have the right ballast, which is faith in Christ, then we can get through it and emerge upright on the other side. Matthew chapter 6 verse 45 says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining and rowing, for the, uh, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to, uh, into the boat to them. And the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves, beyond measure, and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. So, we've got to keep paddling as believers. We often face hardships in life as it pertains to our Christian faith. Now, as far as our Christian faith is concerned, our faith is measured in our willingness to trust God in every avenue of life. Our faith is not something that we wear on a shirt or is attributed to us by our attendance when role is called at church, but in our ability to live lives that reflect an inward trust and an understanding of the power of God. You know, we know it's not easy. It's not an easy life. In fact, we find that if we find it easy, we need to go back and examine our hearts because something is missing or we have lost our direction. We as people of God, the adopted children of the Most High, must be people separated from the world while still finding ourselves in the world. You know, we know our places in heaven. We know our destination is paradise. 
but our journey now leads us through the storms and the resistance of present uh, the present world that we live in. You know, our faith and our trust in Jesus, who by his sacrifice on the cross opened the gates of heaven to us, is our bearing point as we navigate the storms of life. Our duty as the church, as the bride of Christ, is to move through the obstacle course of life in the direction of Jesus and Jesus alone. When he says go, we must go. When he says stay, we must stay. And when he says no, it means no. The truth is we will always be faced with making decisions in this world between right and wrong, between good and evil, between Jesus and the devil. You know, we need to wait. Uh, we are, and wait for it, sojourners in the storm as it pertains to our current situation in the world. As we delve into the passage today, we will see that we are no different from the disciples as they cross the raging sea. But we have a hope and a promise that we will see that he will see us through to the other side. Verse 45 again says immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. Well, he sent the multitude away and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. You know, we are all sent across the sea as Jesus looks on. In our last study, if we recall, Jesus had received his apostles back to him after they had gone on their evangelistic journeys into the region. As soon as they returned, they were told to go to a deserted place and rest, and in the process were followed by a massive crowd that led to the feeding of the 5,000. Here the event is winding down, and Jesus is sending his disciples back out across the sea to another place where more ministry will take place. You know, there are a few reasons uh, as to why Jesus sent his disciples away. We know the first was to rest, to recover from the journey that they had just partaken in and uh, uh, where they had healed the sick and cast out demons. Later that day, we saw them partake uh, in the feeding of the 5,000. They were on a spiritual high at this point. They may not have understood or completely been aware of who Jesus was at this point, but they were finding out as uh, we're going to find out soon enough. Another reason that Jesus sent them away can be found in John's account of this event. In John chapter 6 verse 15 it says, "Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come to the uh, and come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone." You know, the disciples at this point were not ready for a test such as this. Their mindset was still political and overly nationalized to deal uh, too or overly nationalized to deal with the reality of what Jesus was there for, and so he sent them away at this point. Now let's paint a picture of what is going on here and set the scene. We have the disciples on a boat crossing the sea. We have the crowd being sent away into their uh, everyday lives, and we have Jesus go up on the mountain. Now put that into perspective as disciples on the sea. You know, verse 47 tells us that uh, when we see the, uh, I'm sorry, let me backtrack a little bit here. Whenever we see the sea in scripture, we have to think about this. In Daniel, the sea is a tempest sea, right? There's waves tossed to and fro, and out of that sea comes the beast. Right. So what the sea is talking about is society. It's people at large. When we see the sea mentioned in Revelation, it's calm as glass. Right. Uh, 
So what do we have there? We have people in one accord, as opposed to in Daniel where people, meaning society, are of different accords. There's no agreement there. Okay, so what happens is the disciples are sent out across the sea. And the sea, as we see in Scripture, storms up, right? There's a tempest there. That kind of paints a picture of where we are right now. We are crossing that sea. We're going through a life uh, right now that's marred by change, that's marred by dissenting opinions. We have all this stuff. There's unrest in the world, but we cross through that. We're going on the destination that Jesus has sent us on. So what are we as, uh, what were the disciples sent across in order to reach their destination? Okay, they were sent across the sea. Where was Jesus when the disciples were crossing the sea is the next question we have to ask ourselves. You know, Jesus was on the mountain, the high place. The third thing we need to ask, what happened to the people who had the misinterpretation of who Jesus was? You know, they were sent away. Verse 47 tells us that the disciples were gone for a period of time as evening had arrived, and Jesus was alone on land while the disciples were away, on the sea, crossing before him. Now, if we look at the picture of the church today, we are on that sea, crossing before the Lord as he is in the high place, watching and praying and making supplication for us. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God before, uh, through him, since he always li lives to make intercession for them. You know, we may be separated from Jesus physically as the disciples uh, were uh, as they set out across the sea in the boat. But Jesus is always advocating for us in heaven. Verse 48 says this, Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. At an appointed time Jesus will remove us from the storm. You know, as the disciples crossed the sea, the word tells us that the storm began to kick up and push them around. Uh, some as they tried to reach the other side. This is true for us today as we live in a culture that largely rejects the biblical worldview that we hold on to and in turn is blowing at very violently against our beliefs. You know, here it is the month of June and we are in the midst of an unnatural perversion as the world celebrates Pride Month. You know, we see, we're seeing an ongoing battle for the lives of the unborn taking place in the abortion battle as the abortion battle looms large. We see millions of dollars being donated to the Black Lives Matter cult that stands in firm opposition to the biblical view of the nuclear family. We see so-called believers in the Senate, in Congress, and in the White House stand in direct opposition to biblical views that they claim to believe. A battle wages on in many states over the rights for small children to permanently mutilate themselves in the name of gender liquidity. You know, we live in a postmodern world that no longer has use for the truth as it pertains to reality. But instead, people are creating whatever form of reality for themselves that fits their desires at that moment. What we are seeing is an antichrist movement as people create their own genders, pronouns, and altered forms of reality, and in turn are worshiping themselves as a means of justification for their delusion all the while seeking to hold accountable all the people or beliefs that do not kowtow to their ideology. We are witnessing the truth of God and reality as it is opposed by the theology of man in real time. You know, we look in biblical terms, going back to Daniel and looking into Revelation, 
whenever again we see the C, uh, whenever we see the C used in prophetic language, the C represents humanity. So if we look at this portion of scripture prophetically, we see the disciples or the modern day believers in today's terms doing battle to stay afloat in the sea, or in today's terms against mainstream thought and ideology. So this brings us to a next, another question. Are we certain of smooth sailing in life as we are sent out by Jesus? The answer to that is no. We will face trials and tribulations. You know, it says here, now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. You know, the Sea of Galilee is about seven miles wide as it, at its widest portion. These men had rowed, some would say, about half the distance in the storm. The fourth watch was the latest part of the day, around midnight. They were exhausted, scared, and drained emotionally and physically at this point. For many of us, that is when we are met with the reality of Jesus, and when he comes most frequently into our lives, both as when we are saved and when we get saved. Jesus is never too far to come for us. You know, we as believers have a promise. We know that Jesus will return to us when the time is right. Of that time, nobody knows the day or the hour, not even Jesus. But we do have the promise that it will happen, and that's the truth that we stake our lives on. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, it says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so, co uh, so comes as a thief in the knife. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so this day should overtake you as a thief. You know, we have to live expectantly, because we know that Jesus is coming. Although we see the troubles around us everywhere we look, we also know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We just have to hold on to the promise that Jesus is coming and not be afraid when it happens. Because if we are afraid, I think we're not really living out our faith in the way that we claim to be. Why did Jesus pass uh, almost pass them by? Because he wanted to see them recognize him, to trust him and call out to him. But again, they failed in their faith, as we so often sometimes do. In verse 49, it says, And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. You know, we must keep a proper understanding of Jesus and not be led astray by false perceptions. You know, as the disciples struggled in the waves of the sea to stay afloat, they see Jesus approaching as he is walking on water. This is just one of the miracles in this portion of Scripture that takes place. As we have been covering in recent weeks, this chapter as a whole of Mark is a chapter that largely deals with the unbelief of both the outsiders as well as the, the, the disciples that were training under Jesus at this point. Again, after having spent the previous day with Jesus, after witnessing a crowd of 5,000 men come and listen to Jesus teach and then be fed as a whole by their fill, uh, uh, to their fill by five barley loaves and two small fish, the disciples were still struggling with the reality of Jesus. I, pursue, I presume, and we haven't seen any proclamations to this point in the Gospel of Mark, that the disciples still thought Jesus was a prophet and not yet understood, and did not yet understand that he was Messiah. Now, if we contrast what they were thinking before the cross and what the world thinks now after the cross, we can see that it is easy to be led astray by a 
by a mislead, misreading of what is actually happening. You know, in today's world, many believers will be quick to point to Jesus as the happy hippie. They went about speaking of morality and smiling at people who sinned because of love, right? In reality, Jesus came to set the record straight on sin. He pointed out what we that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. That even though we live in the age of grace, we are still followers of the law in that we know right from wrong and should be people of righteousness and not lewdness and lawlessness. We are not to condone sin, but to love sinners as we separate ourselves from sin in all forms. You know, the disciples were quick to forget the previous day. And when they saw Jesus walking on water as, as if he was on land, they thought he was a ghost. It's amazing to see how low their understanding of Jesus was. How can one take such a small portion of food and feed so many without the ability to, to control creation? You know, if he could heal the lame and the sick by touching them, if he could calm the storm once on his way to heal a demoniac, how could he not calm the storm that they were in now? You know, the disciples were afraid. They didn't know what was going on in the dark of the night and in the raging sea. They saw the outline of a man walking towards them. They thought it was a ghost. It says also that he might have walked past by them. I think honestly, and this is my own distorted mind here, that they possibly might have believed that they were dead and were in the afterlife and seen ghosts, other ghosts. You know, in reality, what they were seeing was Jesus, God in the flesh, walking right towards them, but at an odd angle, perhaps. And they cried out in their moment of fear. How many of us have had those times or even came to Jesus, even though we thought it was too late for us and were tostada for sure, right? It seems that when we reach our breaking point in the storm as unbelievers, that we see the man Jesus walking towards us and call out for him. Now, the part that comes next after that is the best part. And that comes in the second half of verse 50. It said, but immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. You know, Jesus is a, the calming influence in the storm of our lives. The disciples called out and Jesus responded. What the world sees as a ghost in the distance and is afraid of always turns out to be a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Instead of scaring them and going all boogeyman in the midst, in the mist, Jesus calls out and comforts his followers. How many times have each one of us in times of peril called out and been met with the comforting promises of Jesus' love for us? You know, his protection and his provision. You know, are we alone in the storm is another question we have to ask ourselves. And the answer to that is no. Jesus is always vigilant and present. You know, if we have Jesus in our lives, not just as part of it, but as the center of it, then we can find peace in every storm because we know without a doubt that he will protect us and that he will be going right into the storm with us. Now at this point is where the Gospel of Matthew also tells us that Peter got out of the boat and walked on water towards Jesus. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 27, it says, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. 
And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? What happened to Peter here is what happens to many. They receive Jesus and begin to walk with him, but soon lose focus because of the storm, or the world distracts, scares, or sways them into taking their eyes off the Lord and, and focuses them on the current situation. You know, brings us to another question. How do we keep from falling in, failing in per, times of peril? By focusing on the Lord in all of our struggles and never losing sight of him. You know, for Peter, what happened? He got scared. He realized the situation that he was in, and instead of following and going towards the Lord as he should have, he lost track and he began to sink. But what happened? And this should be a great reminder for us. Even though we fail, we can still cry out, and the Lord will be there to pull us up and save us. You know, our vision must be on Jesus at all times. It's like a running back in football. I used to play football. I was never a running back. I was a lineman. But as the running back takes the football, he's keeping his eyes on the end zone. And, and the defenders in your periphery vision, right? There's going to be people coming at you from all angles trying to take you down. But you keep your eyes on the prize. Uh, you know, as Christians, Jesus is the end zone. He is the promised land, and he beckons for us. We just have to keep our focus on him, no matter what is coming at us from, uh, from the other side. Those might be in the peripheral vision that we have. They might be something that would come against us, that feel us, that hit us, that push us, that knock us in a, in a different direction sometimes. But as long as we keep going forward, as long as we keep running towards that end zone, which is Christ, we are going to be okay. Verse 51 says this, Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. You know, Jesus is the answer to all my problems, if I keep the faith. John 6.21 says, Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was on the, at the land uh, where they were going. You know, when we have faith in the end result of Jesus, we can cease from worry in the world. Think about it. We have all this stuff going on around us all the time, right? We have a few options as far as what we can, uh, what we can take. First, we spread the gospel and tell people about Jesus and how he can save them as well. We have the ability, nay, the responsibility to vote our values in this country. And last, we bring up our children in a Christian home with a Christian worldview, so that they, from an early age, or early age, learn to trust Jesus as we do in our old age. It's not very hard to teach systematic theology to young children, to teach about creation, to teach about order, to teach about respect, to teach about the way the Lord has brought us up, right? Through our own personal character and conduct and our beliefs. You know, our actions must reflect our beliefs. If we do that, our children will grow up in the same manner. As soon as Jesus got into the boat, the wind stopped, the storm ceased, and they were on dry and secure land. You know, knowing Jesus is knowing that he is in control of all things at all times. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, 
and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. You know, I think the problem that most people in the church have with being a Christian is that as soon as Jesus enters the boat, they seem to find a way out and leave him there. You know, people will accept Christ and become solid believers until the world and the flesh come calling and the realization that Jesus isn't changing for them hits them. They walk away and put it on everybody else to be at fault. You know, our, our reaction should be as the as apostles, the apostles' reaction. John tells us that immediately when Jesus entered the boat, they reached their destination. Mark tells us, that the storm ceased and the apostles were amazed within themselves. In Matthew, we read, we read this, Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Think about that. We have to have that realization. Jesus isn't the happy hippie. He wasn't just a prophet that came to, to spread cheer and joy. No, Jesus is the Son of God, the living truth right in front of these men in that boat. He is the living truth right now in front of us right now as he advocates for us in heaven. That has to be our realization. You know, Jesus is not just somebody that we follow, somebody whose name we put on our t-shirts or on our, our bumper stickers on our cars. No, Jesus is the son of the living God that came down from heaven for us to advocate for us, to bear our sins on the cross, that we in faith in him might have salvation and separation from our sins in this lifetime. You know, it's not just uh, that we let Jesus into the boat of our lives, so to speak. It's that when he enters, we submit to him and allow him to take us to the destination that only faith in him can pr provide. We have so many obstacles in life, but what can be better than knowing the one who can bring us through anything by faith? In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Think about that. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit when we come to faith in Jesus Christ that will lead us through each and everything, because he's already overcome everything. So our question number six is, Who is Jesus, and why should we worship him? You know, he is the second person of the Trinity, the God incarnate our Redeemer, and our Savior. The Apostles' failure, as we see in verse 52, is that they failed to remember or even see the provision and protection that Jesus had so far offered them. They had seen Jesus exert control over both the physical and supernatural realms and still failed to trust that where he was sending them, they would arrive. You know, we have to make sure that we have a firm understanding of our destination, our journey, and the one who sends us there are, uh, or promises our arrival, I should say, our destination is heaven and physical fellowship with Jesus. Our journey is through the storm of life. We must be willing to follow and trust Jesus through the thick and, and even uh, uh, the thick of it, every trial and temptation as we are being sharpened and tested in all areas. Our promise is in Jesus who cannot lie that we'll, we will get to the promised land. In Mark 53, uh, 6, 53, it says, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him. 
ran through the whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to whatever, uh, wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch him, just touch him, the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. You know, Jesus will heal and save all that put their faith and trust in him. It doesn't matter where we are or what walk of life we come from. If we trust in Jesus to take away our sins, he will do so. You know, the people in the land of Gennesaret were eager to get to Jesus. They knew who he was and what he could do for them. And so they essentially turned every marketplace into a church of sorts. You know, we know that the church is not a gathering of perfect people, but a place where messed up people go to heal. This is exactly what we see here. All that were able to touch Jesus, even just the clo his clothes, were healed. You know, who can be saved? All and everybody who is willing to be saved. Everybody that will turn to Jesus Christ for healing can be saved. Not all of us are called to be pastors or teachers or writers, but we all have been called and given an opportunity to receive Christ and partake in his kingdom in one way or another. You know, it's important that we remember that that and offer the gospel to all that are willing to hear and receive it because it has the power to change lives and alter the eternal destination of those who, that accept it. You know, in this day and age, we get caught up in the battles of the world far too often and we forget that, uh, that the people we are at odds with are God's creation as well and that at the very least uh, deserve the opportunity of salvation. Jesus didn't go to the cross for the few that uh, would be saved, but for all, even if all will not be saved as a result of their own choice. You know, just, just as Jesus sent out the apostles across the sea, uh, as he sat and prayed on the mountain, he sends us into the world as he sits and prays for us in heaven. In John chapter 17, verse 6, it says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They are yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which have, uh, which you have given me are from you. For I have given them uh, to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we, uh, be one as we are. While I was in them, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you have gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in these. I have given them the word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray for the, uh, that, that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. 
for they are uh, and for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth you know Jesus is praying for us we must remember as the prayer states that uh, the sea that we cross is the world but if we hold the faith and do not allow the, the trials and temptations that come at us uh, to make us lose sight in Jesus, then our destination will be reached. You know, we have God's protection in that, as Jesus prayed for. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are constantly with us, advocating for us and leading us through. You know, we must be able to accept the challenge that is set in front of us. We are not of this world, but we are in this world. And we will face challenges, and we will go through these things. You know, on us, it is up to us not to lose the faith, to hold true to the promises of God, to hold true and know and understand that He is there and He's right there with us, that there is nothing that He cannot and will not do to help us through. We can't lose sight like the apostles. We can't just uh, uh, have the feeling that we're going to be overtaken because we have already co overcome through Jesus Christ. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corrupt, uh, corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and his mor this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, we have to have that understanding. We are not going through this world for no particular reason. We are going through this world with a purpose. And that purpose is to know God and to make Him known. You know, there will come a point in time when the trumpet will sound and we will be called up. And we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, just as it says here in 1 Corinthians. You know, our corruptible bodies, these earthly bodies, these vessels that we travel in right now, will be changed over and we will get our supernatural bodies. You know, we will be in a glorified form just as Jesus is right now. We're going to be like Him. But you know what? We have to hold true. We have to hold on. Because no matter what, we're going to face opposition in this world. If we are truly living by the Word of God, for the Word of God, and the Word of God is living through us, man, we are going to face some, some gnarly things. We live in a corrupt and evil world. But you know what? Even though we are facing the storms of life, even though we are facing the trials, the temptations, the pushback of the sea, we have the Advocate in Jesus Christ with us. And we have to keep paddling. Because you know what? The end result is the greatest result. Father God, Lord, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for sending your Son to the cross for us, Lord. That we can give our lives to you and you can give us eternal life. Father, we thank you, and we just lift up this time to you. As we pray to you, Lord, I pray that you would just go before each and every one of us, Lord. Come into the boats of our lives, Lord. Save us. Bring us through. 
Lord, that we may open doors for those to come. And that, you know, the world, just as as we see in this last portion of Scripture here, Lord, that the world would see and recognize that, Lord, and that they would turn to you for healing, for saving, and salvation. Father, we thank you. We pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen.